How much blame does Utah deserve for the collapse of the Pac-12? Hint, not very much. You are Locked On Utes, your daily podcast on the Utah Utes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and thank you for making Lockdown News your first listen every single day. We are available on all platforms, including YouTube and wherever you may get your podcasts. If this is your first time joining our show, make sure you guys like and subscribe. We're on our way to 2,000 subscribers, very close to that number, actually, too. So I appreciate all of you who support the show every day, and even those who just drop in from uh, from time to time overall. My name is JT, which is a former intern inside the University of Utah Athletic Department. On today's show, we're going to be talking about some of my observations from some of the teams that Utah has already played and will be playing and how that affects Utah in the last segment. Also be talking about if Utah should have gone after a veteran, a more of a veteran, I should say, backup quarterback with a little more experience in the second segment with the whole Cam Rising situation being what it is. But first, I think I really didn't think I'd be talking about this again, but I think it is something that just got brought up last week and is worth talking about. And that is uh, the Pac-12's collapse and Utah's role in it. We haven't really talked about it from a Utah standpoint in terms of what a Utah might have done wrong. Because like I said, there's the um, there's a new story out there from John Canzano, who I think does an gr- outstanding job, by the way. He's you never know, like just with stories and just rumors, lots of things have been thrown around out there. I've always found Gonzano to be honest. And I think he does a really good job. He does his research with his sources and everything like that. Um, and he just seems like genuinely good guy. I was in the press box for the 2022 PAC 12 championship game. And he even took five minutes before the game to just talk with me. Some guy who was in a, NFL press box for the very first time. And I uh, just took a little bit of time out to talk like that. So I genuinely think John Canzano is a really good guy. And I think he's a really good reporter. And I think the story he wrote about this detailing the Pac-12's collapse is really well done. So I would highly encourage you guys uh, to check this out and subscribe to John Canzano's work. Cause I think he does do a good job as a highlighted. And he does discuss in there how uh, one of the factors that contributed to Pac-12's downfall was the Pac-12 counter offering ESPN because ESPN's initial offer to the Pac-12 for a new media rights deal was going to be $30 million. The Pac-12 counter offered with 50 million. One of the original people to bring up that number was Utah president Taylor Randall, but it does detail in the story as well that this is where I think some people would be like, Oh, Randall brought up the number 50, like, and that's what spurred that. So then like it's Utah deserves, I, I think I've seen a couple of things about how Utah deserves more blame for the collapse of the PAC 12, which I, I think is ridiculous. Cause even if you finish, like read the entirety of the story, um, it even says in there how president Randall, who is quoted in here, Kanzano did speak to him. Like he even said that 50 million, they didn't think they were going to get 50 million. They kind of wanted to start high and work their way back down. They knew that they weren't worth $50 million, especially after everyone had discovered eventually Although they didn't discover this at the time of the deal, I believe it was that uh, the big the Big Ten wasn't actually getting like seventy million. It was much closer to I think it was sixty to sixty five million. So the Pac twelve knew they weren't going to get over fifty million because of just the state of the conference was in, which is a solid conference, but it's not one that's turning in viewership numbers that the Big Ten is. So Utah, the Pac twelve schools knew that, so they said, okay, let's try to negotiate with the fifty million. The presidents weren't doing the negotiating themselves; they turned that over to Commissioner Kalikoff and uh, his staff and the firm he brought in to help them negotiate too. And that's where, obviously, something got lost in translation that it was supposed to be a negotiation and not a, uh, a final offer. That that can happen sometimes in uh, negotiations. I learned I learned I learned that this uh, this summer actually when it comes to negotiating, um, but. 
yeah, this is just one of those things where I, when you're doing like how much blame does Utah deserve as I, I titled this video for the collapse of Pac-12, almost none. I mean, a very, very small, this is a very small detail in a massive, massive puddle because ESPN obviously would continue to talk with the Pac-12 after this whole 50 million thing initially happened that caused ESPN to bow out. Then there would be other things like, is ESPN going to come back in? Is Fox going to come back in? Is it the streaming part? Like we did this whole on and off thing. So it wasn't like even after this, that at the time ESPN bowed out, but I do think that um, they got back into it in general. And also this wasn't on president Randall, other, other commission, other, excuse me, other presidents not only agreed with that of being a good number born to negotiate. And that's where in the negotiation process, uh, things fell apart and didn't work out. But like when you're assigning blame for schools of how the PAC 12 fell apart, um, here's my list. I'll see. I'd be interested to see. I think most of you guys will agree with this. Uh, starting with USC. That's obvious, right? Um, for they were the first domino that really felt like the end in sight for the Pac-12, the potential end in sight, because at the time, everyone thought the conference was still going to survive. But if USC doesn't leave, then we're not having this discussion. And because USC left, UCLA did go with and follow them. Uh, and then the next one, some of you might be like, well, Colorado was the next to leave, right? Yeah, but they weren't the, when you talk about the collapse of the Pac-12, the Pac-12 was still going to stay together. It seemed like even when Colorado had left, it seemed like they were going to get Arizona, Arizona State back in. Everything really fell apart finally when Oregon and Washington left for the Big Ten. That's when it became apparent that Utah had to then leave. So my list is USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington. Then I put Arizona, Colorado, Arizona State in that order because Arizona leaving meant Arizona State was going to leave. And then it was like, you can't, if you're Utah, you can't stay in the Pac 12 at that point. And they were able to jump on the last train leaving for the Big 12, which was the best move for them. So, yeah, as I said, I just don't think you can give Utah. Utah is so far down the totem pole, even if we're going to bring other people in here, right? Like Commissioner Klykoff, obviously the people in the Pac-12 office, there was some uh, faults in negotiation there. Um, ESPN did play a role too in making sure that deals didn't come together. At least it's what's been reported and it sounds like that's there were some details in that about luring them over to the Big Ten to not have the Pac-12 stay together. That's, that's always, that's tough, tough details and things to talk about, but yeah, like I said, I just don't see how you can blame uh, Utah really for the collapse of the Pac-12 in almost any facet. Because even once again, this was just a small number and they knew this wasn't the number that they were going to get when they threw 50 out there. But the goal was to get 40. And I don't think that's a bad move. I think you can make an argument that especially with the way the Pac-12 looks right now. And it's, I think if you were just like to look at the future of each member of the Pac-12, like the original, if they had stayed this 12, if this 12 had stayed, uh, USC's future is looking bright. And I should take USC out, right? Because they they were out before, so we'll take them out. But Oregon's future looks bright. Look, Michael Penix is really good at Washington. I I think Kalen DeBoer is a really good coach. I don't see the Huskies having a massive fall off. I think other elite quarterbacks are going to want to play in that offense in that system. I still think Arizona's trending in the right direction. Obviously, Colorado with Deion Sanders. Now they might have still ended up leaving because it sounds like Deion was very pro Big Twelve too. But that's another one. Even in that, where I feel like very well. Uh, would have been willing to stay and just trending in the right direction. I think there's a lot of programs in the Pac-12, and obviously Oregon State and Washington with what they're doing currently. Trending in the right direction, I think going forward is when you really could have made a case, like the presidents predicted, that the Pac-12 with those members in it is worth that 40, 40 to $45 million range. If the Pac-12 looked as it did right now going forward, and yes, they'd have some down years, but I really think this is a team that if the four te- if this is a conference that with the four-team playoff going forward – I think sometime in the next couple of years, they would have gotten a team in. They might have 
They're still in position where multiple Pac-12 teams could get in this year. Do I think that's going to happen? No. In fact, if I had to bet, I still think one of these, I still think these teams might cannibalize each other. Although Washington is the one where I'm like, they, they might be able to make it out, but we obviously hope Utah has something to say about that when uh, they face off in a couple weeks too. So once again, just to put a bow on this whole thing, Utah deserves little to no blame in terms of them. Yes, they had to leave the conference, so they contributed in that facet. And yes, the 50 million number had something to do with it, but there were so many other things, and even in the negotiation of the $50 million number that could have been done and handled better that you can't blame Utah President Randall. No, no, no. They're way down the totem pole. Once again, like a, a sliver, a very, very small thing because did an action they contributed an action that did in part lead to the downfall, but a very minute one when you measure the totality of the impact of the other measures that did lead to the Pac-12's impact. So Either way, that's going to do it for conference realignment talk. Hopefully, for the rest of uh, the rest of the college football season, because we did get just through the bye week. I hope all of you guys had a great bye week. Uh, enjoyed some, uh, maybe watching some other college football games. Red River, Red River Showdown game, excuse me, uh, really delivered. Uh, other fun games this week too. NFL slate always, or just enjoying uh, nature. Always beautiful fall in Utah this time of year, or wherever you guys are watching or listening to this podcast. So I hope you guys had a good bye week. Uh, we're going to be coming back in a second for our second segment to be talking about if Utah should have pr- pursued a veteran quarterback this off season. That discussion is going to be taking place in one moment. But first, I want to talk to you guys about one of the sponsors of our show in Athletic Brewing Co. It's now time for your Game Changer of the Week, brought to you by the Athletic Brewing Company. Much like, well, since Utah was on a bye, I'm actually not going to do a player. I'm not even going to do a coach. I'm going to do the Utah Crimson Collective, which came up huge last week, giving Utah a 85, all for their scholarship players, 85 players on scholarship, Ford trucks. I think you have to do them as their game changers because they completely changed the NIL game for Utah. And I think for how many teams in the country and programs in the country are going to operate under the NIL banner. Now athletic brewing has completely changed the non-alcoholic beer game. They make non-alcoholic beers that actually taste really good. They brew over 50 styles of craft, non-alcoholic beers, including IPAs, golden sours, and more. Their brews are great tasting and award winning, and they even beat out full strength beers in global competition. They're really fit for all times. You can drink them anytime anywhere make any activity even more enjoyable like watching a big game your kids game even tackling work or even working out etc there are so many different things you can do and there's no hangovers ever you can find athletic in store online and at bars around the country you can find athletic brewing co's non-alcoholic beers at a store new year or buy online at athleticbrewing.com first time customers can use code locked on to get 15 percent off your first order that's code l-o-c-k-e-d-o-n at checkout for 15 percent off at athleticbrewing.com near beer exclusions and conditions do apply athletic brewing company fit for all times also want to talk to you guys about another sponsor of today's episode of locked on Utes in uccu learn and earn the uccu mobile banking app that pays your entire family to learn about money kids look to parents to become more financially literate parents they don't always know the answers. Learn Nerd breaks down financial topics in fun, bite-sized educational games like quizzes and trivia. Every time a family member completes a topic, they earn points that can occur and can be redeemed for gift cards to stores like Amazon, Apple, Sephora, Walmart, Nike, and more. There's age-appropriate content for every member of the family who can compete against each other and track their progress on leaderboards. Learn and Earn is inside the UCCU mobile banking app, so play it anytime, anywhere. The more you play, the more you learn, and the more you learn, the more you earn. Learn and Earn, part of UCCU's award-winning Be Money Smart Youth Banking Program, helping kids, teens, and parents have fun while becoming more financially literate together. UCCU, love where you 
All righty, focusing back in on this one, let's talk about Utah's quarterback situation. Uh, much discussed topic ever since Cam Rising suffered his injury in the Rose Bowl, which we learned, of course, last week because of his interview on ESPN 700's The Bill Riley Show, that Cam's injury was more extensive. Cam revealed in his weekly conversation with Bill that he tore more than his ACL and that it had been, this is an extensive rehab process, much more extensive than we had been been led on to believe. We're not in the locker room. So I we don't know what the initial timeline really looked like of Cam Rising coming back. Once again, it still seems hard knowing what we know now to have believed that he would have been ready for the Florida game. It's something I talked about many times on the show, how I believed he would. But I just, me and everyone else in the media, we had no idea the extent of Cam Rising's injury un, until this was just released by Cam last week. So when you're looking back on this situation in in full, I think it's fair to ask the question, should Utah have pursued a veteran QB in the offseason? And the answer to that is yes. Hindsight is twenty twenty, But there is something that needs to be noted about that. None of them would have come. And what I mean by none of them would have come is none of the best quarterbacks in the transfer portal market would have made their way out to Salt Lake City and committed to Utah. They might have taken a visit, but they were never going to come here. Um, let's talk about just some of the top quarterbacks in general. Obviously, DJU was going to go somewhere he could start. Jack Plummer from Cal last year, going to go somewhere he can start. These quarterbacks, when they leave schools, they want to go somewhere. They're transferring to play. That's the reason these guys put up with everything that goes on in college football, right? Like it's a grind to be a college football player. We're talking about the workouts, the time you put in the energy, the effort. You're not going somewhere to sit on the bench for after you've gained experience, which is what these quarterbacks, we are an experienced quarterback because why would Utah bring in a non-experienced quarterback when they had Brandon Rose who looked who they thought could do some things. Nate Johnson with the way he looked last year, Bryson Barnes serving as a capable backup. It wouldn't have made any sense to bring in an inexperienced backup. So you wanted to bring in an experienced um, player. And in it, once again, experienced backups, just what is an experienced backup? Because you know, there's not obviously that many quarterback injuries in general. So there's really wasn't any clear option for Utah. Even a guy like Cade McNamara, who was JJ McCarthy's backup last year after starting for Michigan, the, the year before he he's transferring away from Michigan because he doesn't want to be a backup anymore. So he's not going to be like, Oh yeah, I'll go start for cam for maybe the first three games until he's ready. And then I'll go sit on the bench. No, no quarterback was going to do that. So Utah really was never going to be in the market for any of the the better backup quarterbacks. All of them would have turned Utah uh, or excuse me, all the better transfer quarterbacks because all those guys were looking for somewhere to play and to potentially go. So I, and I don't think they really had a desire to get in a, a backup quarterback battle. They probably, if they're going to be a backup somewhere for a year, maybe until the starter leaves and they can take the reins in the offense. Why, why would you come to Utah when there are other places that you can go for such a thing, especially when Utah has Nate Johnson. You have to compete to be a backup quarterback at Utah. I think some other places, and I should say, you do have to compete anywhere you go, but like some, you would just be more of the clear cut backup versus we've seen experienced quarterbacks really struggle to pick up Utah's offseason, even in a year to Utah's offense, even in a year's time. So I, I don't have, I do not have a problem with the coaches not pursuing a backup quarterback. Number one, it sounds like once again, they might have thought Cam would have, I know, I'm sure they thought Cam would return by now, even like as bad as, the injury and all the other stuff. There's just no way they didn't think that Cam would return by now based on how they played this conversation. Also, I know some of you were really fed up with Bryson after the Rose Bowl, but also like, I, I think some of you could be like, well, we've been proven right because Bryson struggled. And I'm like, yeah, a little bit. But like, if you look back on the Rose Bowl, who did Bryson struggle against? Penn State. Pretty good team right now, last I checked. They've made a lot of quarterbacks look really bad. It takes a level of quarterback 
like Cam Rising to move the ball against that defense. Utah didn't even have a great first half against them, but it was tied going into halftime because of some of the plays that Cam Rising was able to make in that game. So that's where, to me, people were out on Bryson because of that game when the offensive line wasn't executing, um, the receivers weren't creating a lot of separation, the run game didn't get going. That's where that didn't make, make much sense to me. And as we've also talked about on this show throughout the last couple weeks, Utah's offense are more extensive than quarterbacks. I would probably place quarterback at like their biggest issue at the moment, but it's not, I mean, between that, the offensive line, the play calling, those would be the next couple. And then if you factor in the receiver drops, which popped up last week, even that's where it's like, there's a lot of things that this Utah offense needs to fix and get better that a nice backup quarterback who would have been starting a place for cam rising wouldn't have really fixed. Maybe made the passing game a little bit better, but he's still getting drilled because this, offensive line has struggled to pick up blitz they've struggled to handle twists they've struggled to handle one-on-one blocking assignments at the time they haven't executed in the run game always like i discussed so that's where to me i just i don't have a problem with this team not pursuing a backup quarterback hindsight he's always going to be 2020 but i i still thought bryson barnes was exactly i still think he's a guy who can come in and win beat opponents for you in the pac-12 in a normal pac-12 season there are multiple media members who've said this this is the best pac 12s ever been I agree with that statement, but also, like I said, and I believe they're continuing to tr- going to trend upward in general. You don't see college football quarterbacks win tough road games. You just very rarely see that. It's mostly a team performance. So that's where if you had told me before the season, I predicted Cam, I predicted Utah to lose to Oregon state going into this year with cam rising healthy. I assumed that was going to happen because I think Oregon, because Oregon state's really good at home. I, I believe they're a top 20 team in college football. I think the Pac-12 has a lot of top 20 teams right now. Uh, they're just going to start beating up on each other as the thick of conference play really begins to heat up here. So I just, yeah, I, like I said, I, I don't think we can be like, Oh, Utah should have added a back. Like we're mad at Utah for not adding a backup quarterback. They thought they had good backup quarterbacks in the house. In some ways, I still think they do. I just think that right now the other parts need to play better to mask some of their weaknesses. And also just, in general, it's hard to fight. like. We got to be re- realistic. Where are the backup quarterbacks winning on the road in college football? I, I don't see many of them out there. So that's where I'm not mad at the staff for not bringing in a more experienced uh, veteran backup quarterback because those are very hard to come by, and most quarterbacks don't want to be a backup. Once again, they want to go somewhere they could start. So moving on from that, uh, we're new opponent observations to close things out here. We're not talking about Cal because we have four episodes this week that are going to be focusing on the golden bears. Instead, we're going to be talking about some of Utah's future opponents and past opponents that they played. That is going to take place that discussion in one moment. But first I want to talk to you guys about our friends at eBay motors, passion, drive, and patience. What bring what brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. They have over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die. You'll always find exactly what you're looking for, and with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. eBay guaranteed fit only available to U.S. customers. All righty, closing this one out with some opponent observations, a segment we've been doing for the last couple weeks, really since Pac-12 play kicked into high gear. Actually, might have been, I think we might, we, might have even done it in the second week of the season too. I'm trying to remember now. Either way, 
Uh, talk about opponent observations this week. I want to start first with USC Arizona. Um, kept all of us up pretty late. Uh, that was a wild one going into triple overtime. The USC offense looked out of sync at times. USC's defense was USC's defense and then some. Like it's one thing to be getting gashed by like Colorado, who I think has a decent off, not even decent. I think they have a good offense because of Shador Sanders and some of the talented playmakers they have on the outside, even if they're not great in the trenches. It's another thing to get dashed by Arizona. And I'll give the Wildcats credit. I think they do some nice things. They have some nice receivers, as we know, right? When you're talking about Jacob Cowing. Uh, crazy that Dorian Singer didn't catch a ball for USC in this game. I think he did draw a couple of big pass interferences, if I remember correctly. But um, he was led the Pac-12 in receiving yards last year and uh, is not going to be doing that with USC because of all the receivers they have this year. But even Caleb Williams, right? 14 for 25. He was off his game a little bit. 219 yards, one touchdown. Uh, credit Arizona for playing hard. Uh, Noah Fifita, 300 yards, five touchdowns, and interception. Like, I know he was playing against that USC defense once again, but still in the Coliseum to go on the road, show out like this. So what do I take away from this game? Two things. Number one, it's just, once again, this USC defense can absolutely be had. It's going to be hard if Cam Rising does not play against Cal for Utah to win at USC. But even if he didn't and he came back and made his debut there, not out of the realm of possibilities, Cam's... 3-0 against USC, played some of his best games against USC. And Utah's the playmakers, I think, with the potential to unlock them that are going to beat USC. A lot of those defenders that missed tackles a season ago, they are still on that defense. Thomas Yasmin making big plays is something I can definitely see again. So just that reminder. And also, Utah's defense is going to give this USC offense problems at times, I think. They'll be able to get after Caleb Williams. They just got to be able to get home quick enough because if you let them if you let Caleb Williams has over five seconds in the pocket, more times than not, he's making the play, the big play, which is what he did against Utah last year. So something the Utes have to prevent in the game coming up in a couple weeks. But even talk about Arizona, um, even with Dolores not able to come back, Fifita showed how capable this offense can be of making plays. And yes, the Utah defense is much better than the USC defense, but we said it for a little bit now, and I give Spencer McGoffin credit for always saying that that could be a trap game for Utah, that Arizona game. He very well could be right because of the level the Wildcats are currently operating at on the offensive side of the ball, especially. And because Utah's defense, I mean, excuse me, Utah's offense is not their strong suit right now. Arizona's defense wouldn't be as strong. It's not their strong suit. It's more the offense right now. So that's another thing and another situation where I, I just think it could be a tough task for this Utah team if they don't get some things right offensively. So interesting to watch. So moving on from two future Utah opponents. Now I want to talk a little bit about what UCLA was able to do. UCLA beat Washington State 25 to 17. Washington State was all the way ranked at 13th and now tumbles back a little bit. It is tough to play at the, excuse me, sorry about that. Um, it's tough to play on the road in college football. We've talked about it many a times before, and that was a tough and gritty win Utah had against UCLA. And you see it paying off because then you have games like this where UCLA is able to win a defensive grudge match. Dante Moore threw two interceptions. Actually, Cam Moore did as well. I forgot. So, but Cam Ward was held to under 200 yards passing. Yes, the Cam Ward he threw or over 400 yards against Oregon State. Oregon State, or excuse me, and in Washington State, he only, in the game, Washington State was only credited for 12 yards. Some of those are deceptive because Cam Ward had negative 12 rushing yards. But either way, only 12 yards, that's just, this UCLA defense is good, and this is a good UCLA team. Another team, I think, belongs in the top 25. It's just tough because the Pac-12, it's, they're going to suffer losses this season. But that's a really good win for Utah, I think, by the end of the season, being able to find ways to win against UCLA. It's those type of wins that have earned the respect of the, of the AP voters because Utah is still in the top 25. And I believe they're 16 now. 
which with the way they looked against Oregon State, I, I think is a win at the moment. So it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens to Utah the second half of the season, but they already have nice resume building wins. We've seen Florida do some nice things. They've suffered some bad losses too. I think they got steamrolled by Kentucky recently, but still, once again, another team that's got a win against a top-ranked Tennessee team, even if Tennessee was a little overrated. Uh, Baylor starting to round into form. Give Utah credit for not allowing them to squeak out a win earlier in the season. You get, already mentioned the UCLA one, so three really quality wins for Utah that current and they currently sit at four and one with everything still on the table and Utah will be back in action this week taking on Cal that's what we're going to be breaking down all week long on locked on Utes we'll be back tomorrow talking about a little bit of the aspects that make this Golden Bears team potentially dangerous for Utah as well as reacting to Kyle Whittingham's weekly press conference that'll be on tomorrow's locked on Utes we'll see you then